0: Hello and welcome to What's Brewing in Education. I'm your host, Superintendent of Schools, Scott Kuykendall, and I'm thrilled to have you join us today for part two of our human trafficking overview. On our last episode, I spoke with Sheriff Dirksy, who gave us great insight into the issue. Joining me today is Troy Stein from Without Permission. We will learn more about the services to victims and survivors of human trafficking, and how Without Permission helps their clients with the process of restoration and healing, thank you, Troy, for being here. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. We are also excited as well. Can you just start by telling us about the work that Without Permission does oh, in our county, absolutely, and elsewhere, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, we are. Well, first of all, Without
1: Permission was founded by Debbie Johnson, and we are saddened mm-hmm. in her loss. Yeah, she is a, was a great trooper for the work of Without Permission. She was the founder of this organization. Some 12 years ago, and um, uh, yeah, we're really going to be sad this this uh, Friday to, at her had her funeral service or celebration of life gathering. So, uh, shout out to Debbie to her family, and we're so proud of her and all that she has done in, to trailblaze in this area of, of of eradicating sex trafficking right here in our region. So without permission is it's been around for about 12 years, almost 13 years now. Um, our, our desire is to eradicate, to get rid of sex trafficking right here in Stanislaus and in San Joaquin counties. That's our single lane. The kind of cool thing is there's a lot of agencies that work in the area of, of battling sex trafficking, but we're the only one that actually that's our sole lane. That's the only area that we work in. And our staff of uh, around 50 totally, uh, including all the navigators, and then we have a volunteer base of around 500 That's what
0: we're working for—all linking arms, trying to stop this evil in our communities. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing how connected you are with so many different agencies. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talked a little bit about the fact that you know you've got um, you know you've got staff that are actually going into the juvenile hall, and you know the juvenile hall is one of uh, one of the programs where the county office of education is providing um, you know education. High school diplomas like all of those things so that's fantastic and then not too long ago i had the opportunity to talk with sheriff dirksey Yes. and uh obviously uh, your name came up as well right without permission and just you know all of the work and i know that's not the only law enforcement agency that, sure. that that you're working with but um it is a very um it's powerful work that you do Yeah. and uh am I'm, I'm great that we can we can talk about it a little bit what are kind of just an overview like what are some of the some of the services offered to victims and survivors okay well when you
1: think about uh sex trafficking and battling this we tend to think of of movies like the sound of freedom which has brought some great attention Mm -hmm. uh, to in culture to this this tragedy however we take over after law enforcement does the rescuing so once someone's been brought out of the lifestyle maybe they're arrested they're put in juvenile hall or taken through the court system the justice system that's when we're contacted and so it might be we meet the survivor, and that's what we call them, a survivor in juvenile hall or through probation or through CSA, or even just through the public community contacting us through our 24-hour crisis support line. And from that, then we work on the, the journey of restoration with those survivors. That's part of what we do. Another part of what we do is, is besides restoration is, is we focus on prevention. Mm-hmm. Um, we put a lot of resources toward, and we collaborate with the school systems, all of the school districts that we can in the area, um trying to get into the schools with our program called hashtag not a price tag talking to students um, a, a about the ways they can prevent or be aware that this is actually out there that they could be lured or enticed or groomed into such a lifestyle we want to prevent that if we can right then of course we also have our justice piece we work with the district attorney's office we try to get the uh, all of the traffickers to be prosecuted and we push really really hard for that with great relationships with the da's office and, and attorneys that are on our
0: team so and that's just what we do. Yeah, excellent. Talk a little bit more about um, hashtag not a price tag. Okay, and what does that look like? And you know, how would everything just kind of to start me? Yeah. So you know, I'm a school administrator. Yes, yeah, And this is something that I want to have mm-hmm. um, probably my junior high, high school students mm-hmm. um, participate in. What would what would that look like? All right.
1: Well, the format of it is is not a, a school assembly. Our goal is not to come in and bring three or 400 students into a room and try to talk to them about that. That would be maybe inspirational, but it might not get to the root of what we need to get to. So we, so what we like to do is we like to go into the health classes um, in the, the high schools and to communicate with the students, help them to understand on a much uh, smaller basis so that they can ask questions and interact with our trained uh, navigator, school site navigator, that we can help them understand that this is truly happening around them and how they can avoid it and how they can help somebody else if they're stuck in a situation that
0: is dangerous. All right, yeah. Talk a little bit about your school site navigators. Okay. Um, what, are, what are their credentials? What's some of their background there? Well, want to the, know?
1: the great question. The training comes through our ongoing uh, continuing education through Without Permission. We wanna make sure that they know the curriculum, they know how to teach it, they know how to pay attention to the signs mm-hmm. uh, that a student might be um, struggling with this, it's not uncommon after the class and between periods for a student to then approach, uh, one of our team members and say, you know, I'm, I've got some questions. And typically when they have some questions, that means there's something happening with them. And we try to, you know, link arms with the school. It's all about collaboration, but we want to make sure that they're resourced and that they know that they're
0: supported by us. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's fantastic. When you're talking about signs, mm-hmm. right, symptoms, um, I know that you know you're going to have educators that are that are watching or listening to this. Uh, you're going to have parents that are watching or listening to this. What are some what are some things that you can you can let them know? Like, what are some red flags? There are several red flags. I, I guess I would like to premise this with just
1: because one of these red flags appears doesn't mean that a student is being trafficked, mm-hmm. um, but they become withdrawn if they are wearing inappropriate apparel mm-hmm. for the the season that is outside. And I know there's a lot of styles, and students mm-hmm. sometimes can dress, you know, right typically inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, they might wear sweatshirts when it's summertime, and different things like that. Uh, tattoos or branding is a big part. Mm-hmm. If we see any kind of different um, variations of that that weren't with the student before, oftentimes a controlling boyfriend. If they have a boyfriend that constantly texts them or calls them. Um, tries to hold them under their thumb, uh, and and it, it makes it sound like they love them, but the truth is that they're coercing them and controlling them, so we look out for, for signs like that as well, and bruising, um, if they're crying a lot, if they seem to be uh, up and down with their emotions, um, if they seem to be secretive, uh, we wanna pay attention to those things. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. now I'm glad that you, you talked about all those things, but again, <laughs> a lot of those things that you just talked about a lot of times, sometimes we're just typical teenage behavior as well, right? Yes. So it's just as a parent, just um, or you know, or a teacher, it's just kind of being vigilant, yes, um, being aware, and, right, and following up as as needed. What does the process mm-hmm. of restoration and healing involve? Like, I'm thinking, you know, ob- obviously, um, you know, survivors would want to come to you voluntarily.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, what what does that whole process look like?
1: Well, it's kind of shocking. Um, We would think that survivors would want to come to us voluntarily. The truth is um, they're coerced for such a long time. uh, They've been groomed for such such an evil way that they don't even realize they've been trafficked until they're caught up into the law enforcement system. And even after that, the stats tell us that they return to the lifestyle five to eight times before they're finally free. So part of our responsibility is to walk the long game walk with these survivors and give them options up to this point. They've had no options. Mm. And our job is not to come and tell them this is what you need to do or this is what you will do. Our job is to give them something that they've never had, and that is personal choice. Mm. And so we restore them on the journey through. We have a day center that's at a confidential location that they can come and enjoy uh, kind of a normal home life. Uh, they can experience counseling that we offer them at at no fees. They um, through a professional organization. Uh, they get cooking classes. They get various life skills, but mostly they get uh, safety. They get to know that this is a safe place to be, and there are trained people that can be there to when they're ready to talk with them and help them, you know, navigate their their emotions. What's happening?
0: Yeah. So do you get individuals that are then referred to you by law enforcement to yeah. you? Is like is this part of? Um, you know, whatever whatever legal process that they're going through, Yeah, it's one of the steps. So there's no such thing
1: as a child prostitute. Anybody under the age of 18, it is, there's no such thing as a child prostitute. So uh, they have been uh, coerced, they've been groomed, mm-hmm. um, they've been manipulated to be in this lifestyle. There's somebody that is, that is causing them um, uh, to think that this is okay, that this is right. Um, we've even had survivors come and tell us, um, you know, I, I thought that um, if I didn't make my $700 by the end of the night, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids, um, that he was going to kill me. But I knew that if I did, that he would let me live another day. Who, who feels that way, that they would be let to live another day? And so our job is to help them see that they do have choice and they've got power in their own life and that they can be healed and that they can be restored. So we start with right where they're at. We, we try not to go uh, we try not to go too far. Mm-hmm. Like the educational component is huge. We want them to get an education. We want them to become um, self-sufficient and a good productive part of society. But oftentimes when they first come to us, that, that isn't the conversation they're ready to have. They, they, need, a, they need a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they need something to eat, something to drink. Mm-hmm. They need to know if they lay down, they're not going to be assaulted. Uh, uh, they need safety. And so we provide that for them.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: How prevalent is sex trafficking in this area? Well, um, it's really sad, but we're in what's called, there's a three tiers of what's called the circuit. The circuit is a national circuit um, where traffickers will, will move the product, which are human beings across the nation, oftentimes through the, the, the I-10, the southern portion of the United States, uh, the I-80, the central portion, and then the I-5. Those are the three major thoroughfares. Well, we're right in the middle between the 80 and the 10 and the five connects it. So the Central Valley isn't just a part of the national circuit. It's part of a regional circuit, a statewide circuit, and the local circuit. The local circuit is between San Francisco and Sacramento and Stockton and Manteca Lathrop, down through Modesto, down into Sherlock into Fresno. And what happens is these traffickers will move their product every single night. They'll disorient their their victims, so they don't even know what town they're in. They can't reach out for assistance um, because they don't know where they're at. They don't know who to talk to or who to trust. And so because of that, we're part of that, that, that circuit. This is actually a hub. If you look at what's, what's known as the Polaris um, map of the United States, which is um, the National Human Trafficking Hotline, uh, they mark it by various different colors. And bright red means that's where they get the most calls from. On the West Coast, other than Las Vegas and Los Angeles, we are the brightest red that there is in the Central Valley.
0: Stanislaus County.
1: Stanislaus County, right right here. So to give you an example, statistically, 887 survivors we've served since we began this organization from right here. 91% of those call call Stockton, Modesto, and every town in between home. This is where they were raised. 181 survivors is how many we've served in the last 12 months. Right here. That's a little more than three per week that uh, we have seen brought out of. This is, what we don't want to do is we don't want to cause paranoia, but we do wanna create awareness that this is really happening. And if I may, this is not your Hollywood snatch and grab type of uh, uh, an arrangement. This is grooming, this is systematic. These are these are our outcasts, our kids that feel isolated and lonely. And you know what? So that's about every junior high or high schooler that, that we know of, you feel isolated or lonely or like you're not connected or you don't have a great group of relationship friends. Um, and what we want to do is, we want to point this out to parents that if your child begins to act differently, or they feel um, like they uh, don't have any friends, or they feel like an outcast, we want to lean into that and give you power to to ask them the hard questions to make sure that they know that there are people that are praying on such things. Yeah. Right. Right. What kind of questions? I would I would ask. Well, start the question with "How are you? Um, how you doing? Are you doing okay? Tell me about your friends. Tell me about what what happens." between the classes at school. Can, can you share with me what's going on? As a dad of, you know, we raised seven kids. Uh, they're all adults now. Um, I had a full head of hair before. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, it happened. Yeah. Uh-huh. As, as a dad, um, I remember that it wasn't just the questions to ask, but it's the timing of the questions. I had to be prepared to talk to my teenagers when they were ready. And so it might've been when I'm dead dog tired in the evening and they just wanna talk and I'm like, I gotta dial in here. Or in the car on the way somewhere, and I've, I've got to get where I, from point A to point B, but all of a sudden they want to talk. Take advantage of those moments and talk to your teens. Allow them to express open-ended questions. In, in How do you feel about that? What did you think when you heard that? Questions like that. And then you filter that as the adult because because they can't filter those things necessarily
0: at their age. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, you are a... You have daughters, correct? I have four daughters, yes. Right. Okay. So you're so you're coming from a place where yeah, you're you experienced, yes, you know, yes. with with having daughters and and being that dad. Um what kind of encouragement? I mean, just just for other dads out there. I mean, what kind of encouragement or advice can from that aspect, yeah, you think you can give folks? Well, um my daughters um uh,
1: there were times that they wanted to open up and, and talk and there were times that they they didn't. And so I would uh had, humor. I I would go into their room at night and I, I just said, well, I guess I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until we have some time together because I miss you. Um, and they knew that I led a very busy lifestyle like everybody probably does out there. But they were and still are my top priority. I'll just tell you this on a personal note. My oldest daughter just turned 32 yesterday and I still, they they stay at their own families and I still take them on bi-weekly daddy-daughter date nights because that's what they want to do. So instilling that time with your kids, making them a priority, Um, it doesn't mean spoiling them, Mm -hmm. but it means giving them your undivided attention, letting them know that I'm here, no matter what happens, I will always be here for
0: you, yeah. That's great. What about um, those of us um, who have sons? And I know that primarily when we're talking about sex trafficking in the area, we are talking about young ladies and women, but that's not exclusively no. what's, what's happening. 35% of the trafficking victims in our region
1: are boys. The youngest, uh, uh, the youngest survivor that we have worked with is an 11-year-old boy who was trafficked by his grandmother. She dressed him up as a girl. She sold him for sex up to six times every single night to support her meth addiction. Boys are also trafficked and uh, we gotta pay attention. The challenge with boys is they're not only trafficked, but they're groomed. They're groomed familiarly by their parents oftentimes, but, but maybe by culture, society, um, that you know, sex is something to, to be had, to be conquered. Um, and so I think what we need to do is we have the conversation with boys, let them know that um, uh, that's something that is extremely sacred and extremely special between you and your spouse. It's nothing to be taking taken
0: advantage of a young lady. Can you share some of your success stories? Because I mean, I know it's gotta be hard for you. It's gotta be hard for your staff, but obviously you're doing this for a reason. So like, what are some of your success stories? You know, what 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 gets you up in the morning? And it's like, yes, this is, I'm excited to be able to, to do what I do. Everybody
1: wants to leave a legacy. Everybody wants to have an imprint. Um, you want your life to count for something. Our staff, um, is, is brilliant at what they do in their own particular areas, uh, spoke on the wheel. Um, and I'm very, very proud of our entire team. However, it is a, I call it a yucky, uh, kind of a nasty field to, to work in when you're dealing with the effects of the worst of the worst of society. When you take advantage of a young lady or a young boy and you use them for something to be repeated, uh, five, six, seven times every day. And we're not talking about something that's gentle, that should be in a relationship sexually. We're talking about something that's aggressive and violent, and they experience this multiple times. The trauma that is caused by that is something that will be long-lasting in their lives. You don't go to one counseling session and, and, and get it out and it's over. It's something that will have a ripple effect probably for the remainder of their lives. We have to be willing to be in that for the long game. Some of our some of our survivors have gone on to um, have good, solid relationships where they've, and they continue their relationship with the, with the um, navigators at, without permission. I was told by a couple of our staff members that they recently went to the hospital and they were asked by one of our survivors, would you be in there while I give birth to my child? Wow. They, and this is after this uh, survivor has been out of the industry and, and rescued and been through the restoration process but she has such a close connection with the people that have worked with her for so long. That she wanted them in the, in the hospital. That's a success story
0: to me. I yeah, know, that's yeah. absolutely beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you this question. You may have already answered it. Okay. Um, but what do you find to be the most rewarding aspect of your work? Oh. Mm. I think
1: for me it's there can't just be one, there's got to be multiple, but one of them is seeing the faces of these young people, um, girls and boys at our day center that are in a place of peace and safety and seeing them almost regress a few years from the age that
0: they actually are, seeing them be a kid. Right, because that was, I mean, they've had years of their life basically stolen. Somewhere. Stolen, yeah, absolutely, yeah, ripped away.
1: And now they get the opportunity to, to be a kid again. That's, that's a blessing. And also seeing the, uh, the team members that we have serving, um, these survivors, and also that are in juvenile hall or in, the, in uh, working with probation or perhaps even working with um, CSA, um, as they work with these students who don't know that, that anything's wrong, um, when they get a breakthrough and they get that moment of, oh, my goodness, I have I, I am a victim. I'm a victim of my circumstances. I'm a victim of this this evil. The question we have a lot of girls ask is, why would he do that to me? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a victory. That's nothing to celebrate. But it is it is a point of, of transition for them in their life that they go from this uh, angry, uh, hurt abused phase to a place of, okay, now I can begin the redemption, the restoration process,
0: yeah. It's got to be so difficult because I'm just thinking of the betrayal. Yeah. And when they realize and they recognize the betrayal, I mean, in Dante's Inferno, like the lowest level of hell is for betrayers. Yeah. And I, I can't help but think that that is just, that, that has to play into, um, just the trauma. When when they recognize that I wasn't loved, I wasn't cared for, it, and I was betrayed, and now everything that I thought um, is is now just been kind of upturned, and now it's it's chaos, and I've got to figure out kind of this this new reality, uh, you know, moving forward in my life. That's got to be just such um, a difficult thing, and I'm sure that it. Well, I know. I mean, it, that it's amazing that your staff is there. Yeah. to kind of kind of pick people up where they are and help them move forward with this. Every teenager goes through a
1: breakup mm-hmm. uh, right and their heart is broken and they feel devastated um, but when you've had a Romeo pimp or a boyfriend pimp that makes you believe that, that that you know you're the apple of their eye that you have that you are loved and you're protected and they've used and abused and groomed mm-hmm. you and then you discover later on that you weren't their only one they had six or seven others that they were grooming and that they were the boyfriend of. And they build what's what's a called a stable of of prostitutes, which really aren't—they're survivors, they're victims in this evil industry. And you would do anything for the one that you love, and that's really where it begins. And so, when you think about the trauma that comes out of that, how can they trust someone else later on in their journey that truly does love them? Yeah, the, these are ripple effects that we don't know. We don't we don't know, but we do believe that been um, the power of redemption. And, and we believe in the power of what God can do as well. Absolutely. How can people help? How can oh. people support without permission? Well, there's two major ways. Number one is we need volunteers. We need people that would be willing to help us, whether it's working with survivors, which is can be very, very difficult to do, or whether it's working in clerical areas or helping us. We want to be at every community event. Uh, we want to have a table, make sure that we're we're raising awareness. So our prevention piece is really there. We need people to set the tables up and man the tables, and we all kinds of volunteer places. So we'd love for you for you to volunteer. The second thing is, um, we're supported as a five hundred and one c three a nonprofit. We're supported by charitable contributions. We could use some resources as we're in this expansion phase. Can I just say? We want to close the doors of without permission because we don't want it to have to be a need anymore,
0: right? right? Well, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing like with us and with, with Juvenile Hall. Like it would yeah. be great if Juvenile Hall didn't exist. Just shut it down yeah. because we don't need it. But the truth is we need it desperately.
1: And so we need people to step up and say, hey, I would love to support you economically as you continue to go to places that, that nobody really wants to, to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. What does the future look like okay. for you? Like what? Okay, kind of, what's the vision? Um, from this point moving forward, sure. For me, it's aggressive, um,
1: aggressive penetration and growth in our communities as, as best we can. So what we are in the process right now of doing the last in the last just few months is uh, San Joaquin County has opened up. We're working with with Ron Friedis up there, the District Attorney and the Family Justice Center, and we're trying to establish a presence and help them. There's a desperate need up in that area. Tuolumne County mm-hmm. has contacted us. We're working with their school district trying to offer hashtag not a price tag up there as well. Right here though, right here at Stanislaus County, there's so much that needs needs to be done. There are over 300 schools that we need to get in on a regular basis to offer the training and the help, the coaching. So for me, it's training and hi- it's hiring and training staff to get them in those positions. But again, we can't do that without the resources of the people saying, hey, listen, we believe in this. So I want to help underwrite a, a school assembly, or I want to help take care of the uh, the booklets that you're going to give out for prevention or whatever it is. Right.
0: What's the easiest way for folks to reach out to you? Yeah.
1: Go to withoutpermission.org. And when you go to that, there's a there's a give place on there. There's also a connect. You can connect with us on our website through contacting us. And let us know if you have a a need or if you would, would like some more information or you have someone in your life that you might be concerned about. We're, we would love to help with any way we can resourcing you. And also, if you want to get connected with volunteering,
0: there's a volunteer tab on there as well. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Troy, thank you so much for coming in this morning and thank and, you. and talking with us. It's been a, a true pleasure. And uh, I just, I want without permission to be as successful as possible in anything that we can do. In the meantime, we're already um, the county office and without permission, we're already we're already partners, but um, anything, uh, anything that we can do, absolutely. I appreciate it. It's all about collaboration. We are
1: so grateful for the county office education and your personal assistance. Thank you.